Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Garfield, and this is Thursday, August 2nd, 2018. So you say, okay, I get rescission. Not sure you really do, but let's say for the sake of argument that you've got a pretty good idea. But your other question is, what does it actually do for me, and how does it, how does it help my client? That's the attorney question I'm getting with increasing frequency from across the country. And that's what I'm dealing with tonight. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, and this show is brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog or call 954-451-1230 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. If this show has value for you, if our work on the blog and our radio shows without payment or any other support or advertising, if that has value to you, then chip in. Please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. Combining fact patterns from multiple inquiries that we've had, we start with uh, a, a fictional homeowner who actually sent two notices of rescission, one in 2010, one in 2017. Questions vary from who do I sue for damages to how do I get my title back? Well, spoiler alert, um, questions are in the wrong order, and you don't get your title back, in my opinion, as you'll see. You already have it, despite all evidence to the contrary, which is, I think, void. Note that the biggest and most common error in rescission litigation is that the homeowner attempts to, A, have the court declare the rescission effective, which is contrary to their own argument that it is already effective by operation of law at 15 U.S.C. 1635. Or B, the homeowner seeks to enforce the Teeler rescission statutory duties beyond one year after rescission, which is barred, 
thus opening the door to an argument over when the notice was sent and possibly opening the argument over whether the rescission was effective at all. Statutory rescission under 15 U.S.C. 1635 is hugely different from common law rescission. By sending a rescission notice or cancellation notice, a homeowner is invoking statutory rescission, not common law rescission. A lot of lawyers, most lawyers, most judges confuse the two. And they regard statutory rescission as a claim which would describe common law rescission. Common law rescission, you have to allege and prove fraud or other issues and things like that. Statutory rescission, that's not present. Common law rescission, here are some differences between the two. Common law rescission requires a lawsuit. Statutory rescission does not. I might also add that uh, common law rescission uh, requires a, a lawsuit, well, of course, uh, unless the parties agree. But um, uh, statutory rescission does not require a lawsuit. Go see the statute. Go see the, the Supreme Court 9-0 unanimous decision and Jessenowski very clearly stated no lawsuit is required and in common law rescission the existence of a dispute is central to the action in statutory rescission the notice of rescission is effective regardless of whether there is a dispute or not so in other words, if the so-called lender wants to say that the rescission should never have been sent, that's a dispute. But it has no effect on the effectiveness of the notice of rescission and the invocation of the statutory duties. If somebody wants to contest that, then they have to uh, bring a lawsuit, and when they bring the lawsuit, since it's after the rescission, the note and mortgage are void, they have to step forward as the true creditor who owns the debt. So common law rescission requires a lawsuit. Statutory rescission does not. Common law rescission is not effective until a judge says it is effective. Statutory rescission is effective upon mailing. That's worth repeating. Common law rescission is not effective until a judge says it is effective. Statutory rescission is effective upon mailing. It's an event that has happened. Neither the borrower nor any creditor or party to litigation based upon their holding of paper, which is now void, neither of them can back out of the uh, uh, statutory rescission unless it's by a separate agreement. 
Common law rescission is not effective until the factual and legal disputes between the parties are resolved by the court in the form of a final order or judgment. So common law decision, you need a judgment. Statutory rescission is effective upon mailing. Common law rescission usually requires proof of fraud. Statutory rescission requires proof of mailing. Common law rescission requires payment to the lender before the cancellation becomes final. Statutory rescission reverses that and requires the lender to pay the borrow, borrower before the lender can make a demand for payment. Statutory rescission requires the lender to pay the borrower. Common law rescission requires the borrower to pay the lender. Now, after the duties are satisfied, then the lender has a right to demand payment, but it is unsecured. And the whole purpose of this, by the way, it may sound a little ornate, the whole purpose of it is so that a borrower can get out of a deal that was not properly disclosed, get in another deal that they do want to be in, and use the, the money from the second loan to pay off the first. You can't do that if there's already uh, an encumbrance on the property and the note and all of that stuff. So whether you can sue for damages is one question. Whether the rescission had the effect of removing the jurisdiction right or authority to dispossess you of title or possession of the property is another. And whether title ever changed is still another question. The short answer is yes, you can sue for damages if you're not barred by the statute of limitations. Yes, authority is vitiated, it's taken away, it's gone by operation of law regardless of the status of litig litigation once the notice of rescission or cancellation is sent. And no, title never changed and you probably still own the house unless some state law restricts your right to claim such ownership without being in conflict with federal law. So if they put a restriction, uh, a time restriction on when you can claim your ownership, that probably is going to hold up. Um, but if they put other types of restriction that conflict with the uh, Teela rescission statute, then... Um, that will not hold up. So all three questions are related. Taking the last question, did the title actually change first? My opinion is that the rescission was effective when it was mailed. We know that because that is exactly what the statute says. And we know that because there is no other legal argument you can make. And the reason we know that is because the Supreme Court of the United States 
decided that very issue as the highest court in the land, and there's nowhere else to go for appeal. It's final. Supreme Court of the United States is not always right, but it is always final. You can't go anywhere else to overturn a Supreme Court decision. So the note and the mortgage are void when once the notice of cancellation or notice of rescission is sent. Void means that legally the note and mortgage don't exist, even though somebody's holding paper, which is probably fabricated, but even if it was real, even though they're holding the paper and those and that paper still exists, and one of them, the mortgage or deed of trust, is even recorded in the county records, they're void, which means they legally, in any court and in any other setting, they don't exist. The term void is a legal fiction, meaning that something is to be tra treated as though it never existed. There's a big difference between void and voidable because voidable raises the very thing that the banks want to raise and say, okay, we can fight about this. Void is an event. It's already... Uh, it's already happened. It's effective by operation of law. Voidable would mean that there's something that could be done in the future that might interrupt the effectiveness of it. Statutory rescission under the Truth in Lending Act means that the loan agreement is canceled and all documents associated with it are void, which means the note and mortgage. The failure of the alleged lender to comply with the rescission duties and then pursue payment within one year from the date of rescission bars them from ever pursuing the debt. So not only do they lose the encumbrance, but the statute says that neither party the borrower or the lender can seek enforcement of any duties, the uh, duties, the three duties required of the lender, or the duty of repayment by the uh, borrower. Neither one of them can seek enforcement of that. So at this point in time, there is no note no mortgage, no enforceable debt if it's beyond the one-year period from the date of the notice of rescission. So, any further activities to enforce the note or purportedly to enforce the note or the mortgage are equally legally void. You can't make something out of nothing. So if they're relying on the note and mortgage and any court gives them any relief, 
whether it's foreclosure or judgment or anything, that judgment is void because it is based on a note and mortgage that don't exist. And therefore, the court lacks jurisdiction over the subject matter because the subject matter is the note and the mortgage. So that means that any change of title wherein a party received title from any instrument executed by anyone other than the homeowner is equally legally void. In fact, that would be the very definition of a wild deed that is required to be legally ignored. A wild deed is something where, say, I give a deed to my brother describing your house. I never owned your house. I don't even know where it is, but I, somehow I got the legal description, and I give him a deed, and I record it wherever. My brother doesn't get any title because it's a wild deed. It has no connection with the chain of title that is obvious from the record. So if the rescission was the notice of rescission was sent, the grantor did not have it, the grantor of a deed after that did not have any right title or interest to convey title or a right to possession, even if it was the sheriff, clerk, or trustee on a deed of trust. So you get that? If the rescission was sent, the sheriff, clerk, or trustee does not have the right or authority to issue a deed. And if it does, the deed is void. Any other interpretation which will be offered by the banks would in substance boil down to arguments about why the rescission notice should not be effective upon mailing, the way the statute says, and like the Supreme Court of the United States said 9-0 unanimous in Jessenowski versus Countrywide, January of 2015. Every argument that the banks make regarding rescission boils down to, to the same thing, that rescission should not be effective upon mailing. But the Supreme Court has ruled, and the statute says, well, you may not like it, but it is effective by operation of law upon mailing, because that's what it says. So there are causes of action, many, probably like 30 of them, but I will go over a summary here. Don't ever sue the court. The court is as much a victim as the homeowner. The court has been misled. 
in fact and in law. That's a powerful remedy. It's a powerful argument when you're seeking a remedy. So you've got potentially an equitable remedy of mandatory, which is mandatory is you must do this, and prohibitive, which is you cannot do this, injunctions to prevent anyone from clouding your title or harassing you for an unenforceable debt. That would apply. But as we have seen, the trial courts and even the appellate courts refuse to concede that the rescission is effective upon mailing by operation of law, thus voiding the note and mortgage. So there are appeals, one of which I'm deeply involved in, that are being filed with the Supreme Court of the United States that basically says, hey, you made this ruling and nobody's following it. In fact, they're ruling the opposite way. What are you going to do about it? Of course, it says it at greater length, but that's basically the nature of the appeal. It's uh, The appeal is not whether rescission is effective. It's that we know rescission is effective, but the courts are refusing to follow the Supreme Court's final opinion on that subject, which, as I say, was 9-0 unanimous in Jesenowski. A petition like that could also seek what's called supplemental relief, which usually involves uh, legal damages, which is monetary damages, and could be pursued as long as the statute of limitations does not bar your claim for damages. Which statutes might apply? That's something that needs research, etc., because it depends upon what claim you want to bring. There are different statutes of limitations on different types of claims. And no, it does not start when you found out about the problem. And it may not even start when you should have found out about the problem, it uh, it may well start whenever the transaction got started, which really clouds the issue of monetary damages. But uh, in cases where there has been a supposed modification, which I think most of them are actually refis, uh, uh, a rescission filed after that point um, is probably effective um, uh, against the loan agreement. And therefore, whatever instrument, whether it's note, mortgage, or modification agreement, they're canceled and the note and mortgage are void. And this is where it gets academically interesting. Uh, the, the more likely, you're more likely to be barred if in our example, uh, you use the 2010 rescission than if you use the 2017 rescission in our made-up example here. Uh, because the earlier one uh, uh, may have 
the earlier one is still effective by operational law, but the ability to collect money or uh, uh, or damages or punitive damages is restricted uh, by the statute of limitations. It may be barred completely. So I've seen many files where people have sent three, four, five notices of rescission at different times to different parties. Um, if you got in mind a strategy that's going to seek monetary damages, um, you might want to lean towards the later one, but that kind of goes against the very argument you're making, which is as soon as you mail it, it's effective and you can't do anything about it. So the bank, oddly enough, would probably argue that you already did it. There was nothing left to rescind when you sent the later ones. A lawsuit for misrepresentation, intentional or negligent, might also produce a verdict for damages, whether that's compensatory or punitive. Compensatory is da are damages, money to pay you for your loss or suffering or whatever it might be that is appropriate to the cause of action you brought. It can be shown that bank lawyers were publishing all over the Internet. I have some of their presentations. They were publishing all over the Internet warning the banks to stop ignoring rescission. The banks knew. They did it anyway. Add that to the fact that the foreclosing party was most often a non-existent trust with no substance to its claim as administrator of the loan, and the case becomes stronger and more potentially lucrative. Class action. While I believe that theoretically class action is the way to go, the rules have gotten increasingly strict. So um, on, on certifying the class, uh, and it's extraordinarily expensive. Mass joinder would probably be the better vehicle, but hear this. The FTC and the attorneys general and other agencies have bowed to bank pressure and made mass joinder a dirty word. It is the one vehicle that cannot be stopped for failure to certify a class because there is no class. It's just a group of people who have the same claim or cause of action with varying amounts of damages. The rules for class actions uh, have become increasingly restricted, but it certainly appears that technically the legal elements for certification of the class are present. It can be very expensive for the lawyers, sometimes reaching into seven figures. And the reason for that is you've got to make attempts to contact everyone who might be in the class. So usually there has to be some type of financing for a class action. <clears throat> Mass joinder is self-financing because each plaintiff pays a certain amount that's contributed to investigation or, or notices 
printing, etc. The bottom line is that the homeowner legally still owns the property, but it looks like it's going to take a court to legally unwind all of the wrongful actions undertaken by the courts at the behest of banks who misrepresented the facts and the law. Assuming the statement that the notice of rescission is effective upon mailing by operation of law, then legal title could change. In, in my opinion, open to hearing uh, arguments or comments at Neil F. Garfield at hotmail.com. And I appreciate the comments that I've gotten on the blog. It's been very helpful in coordinating the outgoing message on the issue of rescission under the Truth in Lending Act next week. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.